Whiskey, Shoot, Repeat, a biathlon podcast, hosted by Lizzie Boyle. Episode 23, Let's Eat. If you're in a certain part of Switzerland, the part known as Grisson in French or Graubunden in German, and you fancy some lunch, you may well be served a dish called melons. The name comes from the Latin micula or miculones, meaning little crumbs, and the dish focuses on potatoes. Potatoes feel like a staple of mountain cuisine, so it's easy to forget that they're not native to Europe. They were introduced to this particular part of Switzerland in 1717, as ornamental plants at the castle of Marschlins. It wasn't until 1758 that someone tried cooking them there, to mixed reviews. But a famine, later in the 1700s, led to wider uptake of potatoes in people's diets, among rich and poor alike. The recipe for melons cannot be rushed. You start by boiling some potatoes, ideally the day before you plan to eat them, and then you peel and grate them. Mix the grated potatoes with flour, and then slowly fry in butter until golden. You can't rush this bit. You're not trying to make potato chips. It should take at least 40 minutes to achieve the perfect golden crumbs. Some recipes recommend cooking them at least twice. Serve with apple compote, cured meats and regional cheeses. Now that you're salivating, I can tell you that this episode of Ski Shoot Repeat is dedicated to food. Biathlon is an endurance sport taking place in cold conditions, often at some altitude. So winter sports athletes need to think about environmental extremes, how cold and altitude affect energy expenditure, fluid loss, iron loss, and the balance of glycogen and fat reserves that are available for use. You're probably less hungry now. So think back to those beautiful buttery potato crumbs while I recap the racing from Hockfiltson, and then we'll get back to the food chat. Hockfiltson gave us some more great racing and, as suggested last episode, some reverting to the mean, where results that are really good or really bad don't often continue and people tend towards their typical position. Reverting to the mean is probably the right phrase to describe what happened to the German biathletes in Hockfiltson. Sadly, they couldn't live up to their amazing start in Ostersund. The same holds for Lujan Minot, who was good but not stellar, though we now have very high expectations of her. And the same holds for Johannes Tingisbo and Störeholm Ligrid, who are starting to make their way back up to the top of the men's racing. We started in Hockfiltzen with the men's sprint, and for a while it looked like it would be Sweden's day, with Seb Samuelsson and Martin Ponsoloma shooting 9 out of 10 and taking an early advantage. We had two fast Norwegian Johanneses, Johannes Dahle, who was very fast and holding third despite two misses, and Johannes Tingisbo, who was also very fast, but missed three in the stand and dropped out of contention. So it was left to other members of the Norwegian team to challenge the Swedes. Here came the veteran Taye Bo, 10 out of 10 and a 10 second or so advantage over Samuelsson. The tense finish came from Stirla Holm Ligrid, finding shooting form with a 10 out of 10 and just losing speed at the end to come second. 
It was a popular podium. Taille Beau from Ligrid, from Samuelson. The women's sprint threw some surprises at us as well. Justine Brazard-Boucher was incredibly fast on the tracks and shot well to take an early lead. Then along came Ingrid Landmark-Tandrevold with a 10 out of 10 and a great effort to go ahead. Elvira Erberg tried to claw back time on her final lap but couldn't catch Tandrevold and ended in second spot between Tandrevold and Brazard-Boucher. Perhaps the performance of the day came from Lena Heike-Gross who shot clear and skied strongly to finish fourth just a shade off the podium. Lisa Vitozzi continued her consistent start to the season, finishing fifth. A particular shout-out to Anna-Maria Lampich of Slovenia, a recent transfer from cross-country skiing. She shot five out of five in the prone, which she seems to have really mastered. She could only hit two out of five in the stand, an ongoing training need. But her speed was fantastic, and she came in eighth place. Saturday brought us the two pursuit races. The men's race reminded us just how good Johannes Tingisbo can be. On a day when others struggled in the range, Johannes shot 19 out of 20 and looked very easy doing it. He moved up from 11th to take the win, comfortably. Behind him, Johannes Dahle bounced back from a bad start on the range and showed more of that blistering speed to finish second. Taye both rounded out our first podium of the season, skiing fast ahead of a fading Ligrid. There were some signs of promise too from the Frenchmen, with three in the top ten, all moving up from their sprint results. The women's pursuit was fantastic, thoroughly entertaining from start to finish, unpredictable, and with a result that made a lot of people very happy. Moving up through the field, Hannah Erberg shot 20 out of 20, but had a lot of ground to make up, and came sixth. Julia Simon skied herself into contention every lap, but missed a shot on the final stand and dropped back to fifth. Ahead of her, Lisa Vitozzi, solid and secure. And at the front, a great battle between Elvira Erberg, Ingrid Tandrevold and Lena Heike-Gross. It was Erberg who had the raw speed to win, and it was Lena who took second in a sprint finish ahead of Tandrevold and who gave us the biggest celebrations of the weekend. The relays on Sunday were entertaining. Eric Perrault of France led off with a 10 out of 10 performance to give them an early lead in the men's race, but it wasn't enough to hold off Norway with their consistent shooting and pure speed. Norway also took the women's relay ahead of Sweden and France, and there was a great fourth place for Italy, marked by some fantastic shooting from lesser-known biathletes Beatrice Tribucci and Rebecca Passler. So that was the racing. Back to the food, and a bit of science. A 50-kilometre cross-country ski race consumes 3,000 to 3,500 calories. Now our biathletes don't ski that far, so energy demands are lower, but they are carrying a three and a half kilogram rifle. As with so many things, nutrition is all about finding the right balance. In this case, the right balance of carbohydrates, proteins and fats. Carbohydrates are the slow burning fuels that support endurance. They provide glycogen to the muscles which can be drawn on when skiing. A 10 to 15 kilometer race will use up 30 to 40% of your glycogen stores so they need to be topped up every day. A research study of 124 Lithuanian endurance athletes, including biathletes, found that they tended to consume less carbohydrates per day than they needed. Glycogen supplies in the muscles aren't replenished if you don't eat enough carbohydrates, which means that you're drawing more on your central nervous system and you're at risk of what's called overtraining. This means it gets harder to adapt to physical exercise and you feel more fatigued. We've heard about various biathletes overtraining, 
for example, Quentin Fion Maillot France last year. But the upshot is that it's partly about getting the right balance of fuel in order to expend energy in the training and in the race. Now in training, the types of carbohydrates that tend to work well tend to be things like cereal products, pasta, grains, muesli, fruit and pulses. These have a low glycemic index. That means they only bring about a small and progressive increase in blood sugar. But in a racing and recovery context, it can be more beneficial to take in foods with a higher glycemic index, that is, foods which cause a more rapid and significant increase in blood sugar. These are things like honey, jam, sweet drinks, and some starchy products like white rice and baguettes. Consuming carbohydrates with a high glycemic index during exercise makes the most of the way your system uses glucose and glycogen. In addition, eating food with a high glycemic index during the early phase of recovery promotes better glycogen replenishment in the muscles and the liver than food with a low glycemic index. Low blood sugar, which can come from altitude and cold as well as a lack of carbohydrates, has a couple of important effects. It can increase injury risk and it can reduce concentration, particularly later in the day. You all know that it's harder to concentrate in the afternoon if you haven't had lunch, right? Perhaps inattentiveness on the range is because of an issue with fueling strategy. Along with carbohydrates, we need proteins, which are essential for building and repairing muscle tissue. Proteins are made up of amino acids, and there are 20 of these in total, of which eight are seen as essential because they can't be made within the body. So our quest for protein is all about how to find as much as possible of those eight amino acids. The main food sources of proteins are products of animal origin, meat, chicken, fish, eggs, and dairy products. The proteins from these foods are very high quality as their composition in essential amino acids is close to what we need in our bodies. Some vegetables also contain proteins, cereals like wheat and rice, and pulses like lentils, chickpeas, and kidney beans. However, the quality of these proteins isn't as good because they all lack one of those essential amino acids. So it's best to combine cereals and legumes or have them with a source of animal protein to make sure the meal provides the right mix of high quality proteins. Lipids, also known as fats, just like carbohydrates are a source of energy, but they can be stored in greater quantities. Lipids also play a structural role in part, as part of the makeup of cell membranes. Some fatty acids are important in controlling biological processes, such as inflammation, immunity, or coagulation of the blood, helpful for overcoming injuries. Fat reserves are also called upon in endurance events when glycogen reserves get depleted. Women often outperform men in ultra-endurance events as they're better able to draw on these fat reserves and to maintain blood sugar or glycemia levels after exercise. Only two fatty acids are essential because they can only be provided through food. These are omega-3 and omega-6. Several biathletes work with companies that produce fish oil supplements to ensure they have access to these even if they can't get fresh fish in their diets. A third fatty acid, DHA, was recently qualified as essential because it's not well synthesized in the body. DHA is a major component in visual and cerebral structures and also essential to their function. Some research says that it can improve eyesight or at least reduce its decline and it can help reduce the effects of exposure to bright lights 
be that floodlights in a night race or the bright reflection of sunlight on the snow. Of course, there are the bad fatty acids as well, the saturated ones, which you'll find in fatty meat, cheese, butter and cream. So no more raclette for you. We've talked about the big guys, but how about the micronutrients, those small amounts of vitamins and minerals that are essential to good health and athletic performance? Northern climates with less sunshine can lead to vitamin D deficiency, especially if you spend most of the year in sunnier places. Scandinavians are biologically and culturally more attuned to this. They are better able to store and process the vitamin D that they do get from daylight, and they also have diets rich in foods like fish, which are strong in vitamin D. Some countries, including Sweden, Finland and Canada, add vitamin D to common products like flour, margarine and milk to help ensure good levels across a population. Research also suggests that endurance athletes need increased levels of vitamins with a role in energy production like B1, B2, B3 and B6 and of antioxidant vitamins like vitamin C, E and beta-carotene. Generally, biathletes and non-biathletes need the same types of minerals like sodium, potassium, chlorine, calcium and magnesium and trace elements such as zinc, copper, manganese, iron and chrome. However, significant sweating during training or racing could increase a biathlete's requirements compared to a couch potato like me. Calcium and magnesium are involved in muscle contraction and magnesium also plays a role in metabolising energy and nerve transmission. Chrome is essential to our ability to metabolise carbohydrates, while iron plays a major role in oxygen transport. Iron deficiency is a common issue, particularly for female athletes. Our red blood cells do the, work, the heavy work of carrying oxygen around the body. They do this by binding oxygen to the iron contained in our haemoglobin. We gain iron mostly through diet, with red meat being a very effective source of iron that we can absorb into our systems. Vegetarians and vegans may have to find other ways to get iron in their diets. However, we lose iron in various ways, through sweat, through our skin, or when menstruating. Intense exercise can increase iron losses by up to 70% compared to just sitting and watching sport on TV. And what happens when you have iron deficiency? Your body is not good at transporting oxygen, so you have reduced capacity for exercise and feel more fatigued. In biathlon language, your VO2 max is reduced, and this means you can't compete at the same level. Research studies have found that athletes tend to use supplements to access vitamins and minerals like the ones I've mentioned. One study of athletes at the IAAF World Championships found that 86% of athletes used some form of supplement. Some used them because they did not think they could get what they needed purely from food. Others felt that they, felt they offered competitive advantage or at least a level playing field if others were known to be taking them. Coaches and training partners can also be very influential in athletes' decisions about use of supplements. However, in a study carried out by the Cologne Doping Control Laboratory, almost 15% of nutritional supplements were found to contain prohibited anabolic androgenic steroids, with a further 10% offering inconclusive results. So up to 25% of supplements that are supposed to be just vitamins and minerals could contain banned steroid substances. Now this isn't a one-off result. Studies have been repeated and they do need to be a cause of serious concern among athletes who are liable for drug testing.
One way to avoid this concern is to follow the advice of American biathlete Susan Dunkley, who says she prefers to seek vitamins and minerals from food ingredients rather than from supplements. Different coloured fruit and vegetables have different types of micronutrients, so her recommendation is to eat colourfully. Now we all know that we're supposed to eat three meals a day, but is that true for biathletes? Biathletes need to carefully plan meals and snacks to ensure they have enough energy for training and competition and to fit with competition schedules. This means eating a balanced meal with plenty of carbohydrates, but not too much fat or fibre, a few hours before training and competition, and then having a snack or small meal shortly before the session to top up energy levels. It's also important to refuel after exercise to help the body recover and prepare for the next session. So research suggests that a good balance for a biathlete is three meals and two snacks a day. This gives a good amount of energy ahead of time, but also refuels the biathlete to avoid future fatigue and to help with muscle repair. Altitude reduces appetite, particularly after training. Now this is more of an issue for athletes training at 1800 to 2000 meters or above, but nutrition at altitude becomes all the more important because altitude also decreases muscle mass and body mass. It increases the risk of respiratory tract infection and it can deteriorate sleep quality. So if aptitude is reduced after training, then there is less energy replacement in the body and less opportunity for recovery. One consequence of undernutrition for female athletes is one that doesn't necessarily manifest during a sporting career, but afterwards or during a break. If you expend more energy in training than you take in through food and drink, you can suffer from relative energy deficiency in sport, known as REDS or REDS. A symptom of this for female athletes is reduced oestrogen, which means that they do not have regular periods, which then makes it more difficult to fall pregnant. Oestrogen also plays a part in bone health, cardiovascular health, and cognitive health. REDS doesn't just affect women, it can affect all athletes, arising first as fatigue and colds, but also affecting the digestive and immune systems all consequences from long-term undernutrition. They say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and the science suggests that breakfast helps with increasing daily intake of energy and doesn't associate with weight gain, so free pancakes tomorrow. Not eating breakfast though does result in a decrease in mental performance during the morning, especially in terms of short-term memory. The IBU interviewed by athletes about what they eat for breakfast. For Vettel Christensen, it's usually cereal, yoghurt, fruit, scrambled egg on toast with coffee and juice. If he's travelling, he'll add a croissant with Nutella. Tommaso Giacomel is similar, yoghurt with muesli, fruit, his personal favourite, cinnamon, along with bread and honey or jam, juice and a good cup of coffee. Stina Nielsen goes for bread, soft cheese, cucumber and peppers, and fried eggs from her mum's chickens, and coffee with chocolate milk. Processed foods are likely to contain more sugars, salts, trans fats and artificial ingredients than fresh foods. And they can be great for a short burst of calories, but not good for longer term fueling for endurance. Another of Susan Dunkley's top tips for during the season, when you're on the road for several months, was to find a local store and pick up as much fresh produce as possible, seasonal fruit and berries in particular. This was a way of having more control over what foods are available than you might get in a hotel restaurant. She particularly recommends blueberry soup, as found in Scandinavia. Now, if all this sounds like a lot of discipline, don't worry. The occasional sin is permitted. 
you can meet nutritional recommendations and still eat some bad things, so long as about two thirds of the food you have is good for you. So bad food can be compatible with nutritional recommendations, provided foods with a favorable profile for a balanced diet, like fruit and vegetables, eggs, milk, seafood, and low fat and low sugar dairy products make up the majority of total food. Pretty much every survey of biathletes that I've ever seen, their favorite food is pizza. Post-season pizza seems a standard tradition now, along with big boxes of donuts that get opened almost as soon as the racers cross the line at the end of their final race. Speaking of racing, this week the Biathlon World Cup moves to Lenzerheide in Switzerland. We start on Thursday the 14th of December, that's tomorrow as I'm recording this, at 1.15 UK time with the women's sprint. That's followed on Friday, the 15th of December, again at 1.15 UK time by the men's sprint. Saturday, we have the two pursuit races, the women's at 11.45 in the morning and the men's at 1.40. And then Sunday sees the first mass start races of the season, a double header with the women at 11.30 and the men at 1.45. The mass start is at head-to-head racing um, and everybody goes off at once. Uh, so the first circuit and the first lap is often quite um, action-packed as people jostle for position on the tracks before as the race develops. Who to look out for? Well, this season remains quite difficult to predict because we've had those good and bad individual performances, but it's also difficult to know what's a one-off and what's part of a trend. There's also a lot of illness, including COVID, going through teams at the moment, so we don't really know who will be on the start line. As long as they can remain healthy, then look out for Lisa Vitozzi and the Erberg sisters. And if Justine Brazard-Boucher can find her form on the range, she'll be in the mix once again. On the men's side, the Norwegians just seem a class apart right now. I'd love to see Johannes Dahle convert his amazing ski speed into a clear shoot, and for him to get on top onto the top step of the podium. We'll be in Switzerland, so a shout out to members of the Swiss team, though I'm not sure who's healthy. Nicholas Hartbeg and Sebastian Stalder, Amy Berserger and last week's heroine Lena Heike-Gross all have the potential for top 10 finishes if they're healthy, and that would make the home crowd very happy. One last thing. Karl Heinz, known as Charlie, trained as a chef. He'd had an interest in sport but lost it until his mid-twenties when someone bet him he couldn't complete a 60-kilometre running race. He did, and this led to a passion for long-distance running and cross-country skiing. Amateur success as a runner led him to focus here, all the time working as a chef and latterly running a hotel. He won mountain marathons in Europe and South Africa, and he combined sport and food perfectly as a team chef for Germany at the 2002 Olympics. His son was born in 1990, and took to the cross-country skis early. He started competing in biathlon at the age of seven, continued through his younger years, and is now a pro. The name of Charlie's son? Benedict, as in Benedict Doll, although perhaps ex-Benedict as well. Maybe we need Charlie to tell us how Benny got his name. Benedict hasn't just taken the endurance sport gene from his father and his mother, who was a marathon runner herself. He's also taken the cooking gene, and father and son have published a cookbook Schwarzwaldlust, and have a website, dollskuka.de, which focuses on regional cooking from the Black Forest. The recipes look delicious. Thank you for listening. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with links to all sorts of background information and sources, at skishootrepeat.podbean.com.
please do follow along on social media at Ski Shoot Repeat. And please do get in touch to tell me what's right and what's wrong. This podcast is built more on love than on knowledge, so I do expect to get fact-checked. And let me know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes. I'll be back next week to review the racing in Lenzerheide and look forward to the following races as we head towards Christmas. Thank you for listening to Ski Shoot Repeat. I've been Lizzie Boyle.